Before we begin, we wanted to mention that this podcast relies on listener support. If you'd like to help us out, there are a few ways you can do that. One is by telling your friends about the podcast or anyone who you think might be interested. Another would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're in a place to donate financially and you'd like to do that, we have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash backonthegrind. Signing up as a patron gets you access to things like our extended cuts of our episodes, as well as other bonus content. Thank you. Welcome to Back on the Grind. My name is Will, also known as Folkpunk Dad, and today's guest is Mike Miller from Endless Mike and the Beetle Club. For those of you who don't know, Endless Mike and the Beetle Club was the band that accompanied Pat for Wingnut Dishwashers Union. Before I spoke with Mike, Pepe put me in touch with Pat so that I could ask Pat about stories or any information that I should maybe ask Mike about in our conversation. We ended up having a really great talk and large part of that because of Pat's suggestions. We ended up talking about wrestling with Christianity as well as prison abolition and the DIY scene in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And at the end of this episode, you'll hear a new unreleased track by Endless Mike and the Beetle Club. Mike, thanks so much for being here on the podcast. Um, I was wondering if we could start with just hearing a little bit about um, your life and maybe you could talk about um, your your upbringing a bit and maybe how you got into music. Uh, sure, yeah. I was born in right outside of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, born and raised in Johnstown. I have one brother, my identical twin brother, Matt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we just, uh, th- as we grew up in the 90s, got to hear, you know, cool stuff on the radio at the time. So just sort of delve deeper into that. And I, I don't know. I don't think there's much of a, a, a journey there other than it just like, I can tell you this, though, that I there was nothing that connected with me until I was probably like 15 or 16 I first heard. I don't know Nirvana and and uh, and stuff like you know all the then we just got into like on 120 minutes on MTV like all that stuff nothing had ever spoken to me before I heard like really got into music you know absolutely yeah well what were some of the things that weren't speaking to you <laughs> uh you know sports uh not really uh, into that although yeah and just like the the area that we grew up in was like. It was Matt that said this once, and I think it's just perfect that he was like, it wasn't until I heard the term Trump country that I was like, oh, yeah, that's where we're from. <laughs> you know? Got it. Yeah. So that wasn't speaking to me much. Um, I don't know. Nothing. I think that until then, mm. when I look back on it, I'll bet the re- those first 16 years of my life, I was just kind of like, you know, feeling like I was just faking my way through it all. Just like, I mm. think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. and saying and thinking and i don't know wearing you know i mean like yeah i think i pretty much just faked it (laughs) until i you know started to hear things that spoke to me the smashing pumpkins were really a big deal Mm. to me um and and we liked weezer and uh sunny day real estate was a big one for me yeah yeah and the pixie so so sure in discovering this music what about it spoke to you I don't know, just the, you know, probably the idea that like a lot of it, just a permission to be, to be weird. <laughs> this is the permission to not be to like, well, good. If I don't fake it, you know, I'm I'm going to stand out as a weirdo or whatever, you know, and it's good. Yeah, let's just be a weirdo. I love that. <laughs> That's a great message. Um, if you come away with anything today, listeners, be a weirdo. Pepe put me in touch with Pat. So I could ask Pat a little bit about you and uh, his experience working with you. And one of the things he said, speaking of music, is that um, one time you said, Mike, that you don't only listen to punk, 
but you also don't listen to anything that's 0% punk. <laughs> Would you still say that's true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if something's 0% punk, it's it. It's over. <laughs> it I really, I really quite like that. It doesn't have to sound like punk rock, you know, but there just has to be something in there. I know exactly what you yeah. mean. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the scene in Johnstown, uh, Pennsylvania, sure. that eventually emerged. Uh, Pat was telling me a little bit about it, and I'd love to hear more about it from you, how it came together and what it was like and all of those things. Well, it was a really great it was a really great scene insofar as like the bands and there would always be kids at the shows. It was, you know, booked and organized and run and every single part of it was just by kids, you know, 18, 19 year old kids, younger, some high, you know, high school kids, I guess probably. Yes. Well, I was probably 16, 17 when we first started doing it. You know? And it was just me and some friends would rent out the Elton Community Center and uh, nice just because there wasn't anywhere to play you know if you were in a band mm -hmm. you're supposed to play covers or play bars or stuff like that and you know we were not going to do that so we had to make our own places to play and then you know flyer the mall and at schools and you know <laughs> and then try to get kids out and eventually it just sort of took off because they were just other bands would be like, oh, we don't have to play covers or bars. We're not going to do that. Well, can we play one of your shows? You know, one of these shows. And as soon as it started to grow and there were, you know, there were other kids that were like, oh, you just call this place and put it on their calendar, and, you know, give them 150 bucks or whatever, and then keep the rest of the door and it goes to the, all the bands. So other kids started booking shows and there were people that really liked doing that and handling that. So as soon as that started, we never booked another show. Me and my friends, we just would play them. But yeah, they were nice. great. There were a lot of good bands, really great bands. And this band that I'm still doing all these years later was definitely born out of that because it was, they were all really, you know, competent players and songwriters. And I was friends with everybody in every one of the bands. Everybody was friends with each other. So, you know, when we made, when I made this up, it was, I had a, a bunch of acoustic guitar songs and piano songs with no band and then it was just, just to be like hey i need um you know we've got a couple shows i booked a couple shows this weekend you need a drummer so you just ask one of the five drummer friends you have and yeah that's really how it started and stayed for a long time it was sort of like a pickup band you know mm -hmm. there are people that mm -hmm. have been in it the entire time but then there's also been people that have come and gone and uh that's still like that today what was the most people that were ever in the band at once, would you say? Uh, we toured as a 16-piece. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was great. We were all in one van. Wow. And we all crashed on the same floors the entire tour. We never had to split up. I feel like that's a big accomplishment. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that, there's so many, that's like accomplishments within accomplishments. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it was I'm impressed. It was wonderful. You know, it was, we had guitars and strings and keyboards and horns and mostly percussion. <laughs> wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It was a blast. And, uh, we made a record called we are still at war and, uh, it was, we recorded it live as that many people too. Mm. And I think there were probably more people on some of those tracks than the mm. 16 that went on tour. But, so what happened wow. was, you know, when there's all those people that were doing it, it'd be like, Hey, we got another tour. You want to come? And eventually, Everybody from that pool of musicians would be like, yeah, I'll come, you know. So just sort of like snowball. Well, now the 16 people said, yeah, I guess there's 16 of us, you know. And uh, That's so great. And we figured we'd, so when we were writing new songs, hey, we're working on a new record. You want to do this too? And we knew that it was going to be a big crew of us. And we were all excited to be like, well, let's let's make the record as, as this big band. So we even recorded it live in this big warehouse space that's uh, – it was a venue in Johnstown at the time. <laughs> I love that. Um, sounds like there's good reason Pat referred to you as the Bruce Springsteen Wayne of folk punk. <laughs> Take it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so what does the band look like now? I'm sure it's different all these years later. Sure. You know, people are spread out and older and doing things. But uh, the most recent incarnation, which has been writing songs together for the past month and a couple months it's been me and and matt 
playing the guitar and synth stuff and all kinds of stuff. And it's been um, Davis is playing the drums and Cody's playing the bass and John is playing the guitar and the strings. And Kate has been playing keyboards and singing when we did some live stuff. My buddy Daniel played guitar with us and effects and stuff like that. And other pal Robbie is playing the guitar with us. So it's sort of still a bit in flux, but it's very uh-huh. much feels now like a really tight, like five piece with me and Matt and Cody and Davis and John. So we've been writing nice. together, put them together. And oh, I can't wait to get a group them. chat. Going, you know, that Gotta have a group chat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many group chats. My wife, Laurel, likes at the Beagle Club. I'm like, yeah, the Beagle Club. Very nice. <laughs> tell them to awesome. stop. <laughs> <laughs> Mute it for a while. Um, Wow, cool. Well, I'm so glad that it, it's still going and y'all are still doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's been like an on-again, off-again thing for a very long time. And I think it's just mm-hmm. like, I'll go through periods of not writing or, or or playing, and then and then I'll just, it'll all come back, you know? And mm-hmm. I, was like, I don't know, you know, we keep doing this, we'll make a record and then not do anything for years and then make another one, you know, because it's like, oh, there's more songs, so... Uh, yeah, but somewhere along the line, it's just like yeah, I just keep calling it that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, that's great. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you and Pat linked up. He had a listing on Kim and his buddies in Brattleboro had a listing on Book Your Own Fucking Life. Remember Book Your Own Fucking Life? No, oh, it was just a website with full of um, booking your own tours and stuff. You know, contacts all over, and we were trying. It was. Yeah, we were we were just booking a tour, and they had a they had a listing in Brattleboro. And it sounded like it would be fun. Reached out to him, and he was like, "Sure, a show, put a show together." And we we played together in Brattleboro. He was doing the he was a child at the time. It was <laughs> so yeah, we met there, and they were he was he was playing in Johnny Hobo and the Freight Trains, and uh, they were I think they were trying to record it as a as a like they were trying to record their set. But he kept messing it up, or his voice wasn't there, and he just like stormed out. <laughs> oh man! I, I didn't really meet him at that. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Like I think we said hi, you know, but we didn't like hang out or anything like that. He was. <laughs> but I remember Heidi was uh, touring with us then, and we we were watching them play, and Heidi was like, "Man, you know, the best thing about it because we were both just like, wow, this is really good and really cool. We mm. really liked them." right away and Heidi was like I think my favorite thing about this is that there's no way it's sustainable basically she's like I mean this is something that this he's gonna grow out of and we're here seeing it well it's true Mm. of this guy you know of these kids of this scene and stuff and that turned out to be very accurate in it yeah yeah absolutely but it was it was really cool that she I think about her saying that often and how right on she called that yeah that was insightful for sure yeah, and they were really, you know, I they only played a couple songs before he peaced out. And then later that year, they reached out to us and were like, they were throwing the Brattleboro Fest. Come play Brattleboro Fest. So we did, and then that's where we got to be friends. Nice. Um, And so what was it like when you all decided to start working together? And how did that go? That was his idea. I think he wanted to get out of Vermont for a while. So he came and stayed with me and Laura in Johnstown for a couple months. And uh, that was always the plan. Now, that's why, you know, he wanted to get out of Vermont and he wanted to make a record. So he said, yeah, let's make a record. I don't know. A lot of the songs were done. I think like he had already recorded them before. They were kind of old. He wrote a few of them while he was in Johnstown. We just put them together one at a time. It went pretty quick recording it. I remember Davis mm-hmm. recorded mm-hmm. that too. He records most, almost all of our records. So for the last one, Davis has always recorded them. But he, so he recorded the Wayne Lampish Washers Union record too. And uh, he played the drums on it. No, I don't think he did. Actually, my, I think Dallas, my buddy Dallas played drums on it for the most part. Davis was there mm-hmm. recording it for sure. Uh, and it was me and Jacob. Yeah, buddy Jacob. Uh, he's a filmmaker now. Which, uh, mm-hmm. He was in Cleveland, but now he's back around Johnstown. Um, John was definitely on it. He plays the strings and stuff. And then me and Matt played on it too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a great record. What one of my faves. Cool. And did you all tour together? We did. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did. How was that? 
Uh, me and Pat toured just the two of us, and it was pretty good. But I do remember <laughs> saying to him at one point on the drive, I'm like, you know, you don't have to say yes to everybody that wants you to come and play. Because like, it was like <laughs> a park in Kansas City, you know, and they were like, oh, we forgot to pass the hat. And it's like, you don't have oh. to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Yeah, yeah, but for the most part, it was really fun. And then we did a few shows. We I think we only ever played like twice live with the band, mm. like all of us mm. together. Oh, Once yeah. I remember was in New York City or right across the river in a college in New Jersey. And um, I seem to recall the kids there not being too into it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it was oh, like Dylan going that. electric. <laughs> They're like, what is this? <laughs> like setting up bells and these kids are just like oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and i remember uh you know was saying that to this is like when dylan went electric and pat was like i don't understand that reference <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you don't man. know it and he was like, no, i don't know what you're talking about like, well. <laughs> okay oh that's true. but that's cool that people like it yeah, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as the I think that was not the I don't remember that being the case. At the time. I think mm -hmm. they wanted the solo mm -hmm. stuff, the folk, you know, just acoustic. And, well, I get your reference and it sounds accurate to me. Yeah. <laughs> and we toured with Ramshackle Glory too. Beagle, the full Beagle Club toured with the full Ramshackle Glory. And, oh, cool. You know, it cool. was great. Yeah. Nice. Might have been their last run. I mm. think it might have been their last tour. Any highlights or memories from that? That was the first we met the rest of the band and we really got along with everybody. It was really cool. Mm, nice. Nice. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. When I talked to Pat yesterday, um, he mentioned a few things. Um, I, I asked him the question, if he was interviewing you, what would he ask you about? And one of the things he he's mentioned is that um, you've wrestled with Christianity and Pat seemed to be really interested in your thoughts on Christianity, on Jesus, um, and on Jesus as a, a radical. Um, and uh, maybe we could uh, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, sure. So when when were you first introduced to Christianity? I mean, it's right, even if you're not, that's just America, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, yes. I yeah, I meant, I guess my question was, um, were, did you grow up in a Christian environment or a Christian house? No, not essentially. Not really. Um, mm -hmm. it, Christmas and Easter kind of crowd, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so it was mm -hmm. kind of there. I mean, I do remember going to Sunday school and stuff when I was a kid, but not, uh, no, it wasn't, wasn't an, uh, an, uh, an emphasized or important part of, our childhood at all and um how did you start um engaging with it more what what did that journey look like for you i don't know man i was just really always super into the bible as like literature i was really into sort of the history of it i just something that always really really fascinated me about it like i would i really liked watching those you know unexplained mysteries of the Bible type shows on the history channel and just read into that kind of stuff. And I, I just, that was really, I was just always like the stories. I mean, it's through everything, right? It's the most, it's gotta be the most uh, referenced work of all time. You know, like just anything that you like, you can find allusions to the, to the Bible in it, you know? And I, so I just really liked the, the, the history of it. I was a big reader and, really interested in that kind of stuff so you know just going to the source i guess yeah that makes total sense and a weird kid that had like there we had a there was a bible in the closet at the end of the hallway that was the only bible in the house i don't even you know know i would but i would like when nobody was home i would like sneak and read revelation because it was scary you know <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh yeah were there any other parts or aspects of the bible that um really stood out to you or compelled you or interested you in addition to revelation at that time? No, probably not at that time. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Or, know, later, really or later. Or later. Language yeah. and like, you know, you don't really, uh, it's 
hard to internalize it, right? I mean, it's really, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I think just with it, it's certainly something that is, the more you read it, the more there's kind of revelation to it, you know. So it wasn't, uh, but just in that state, there was no, there wasn't really anything other than this is weird. <laughs> just the weird feeling it gives you. I like that. Totally. Um. So this is kind of a big question. <laughs> um, and I hope it doesn't put you on the spot too much. Yeah, I know. That's why we're here. The big question. So um, who would you say Jesus is to you? Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a big question. Right? Not really. I mean, I think he's who he says he is. I do. Mm. And uh, I think that it's something that is there's a, I don't know how to explain it other than to say that there is like a, 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 a supernatural aspect to it. You know, that you can't quite, it doesn't, if you, if you just go and try to answer that in any other way, I don't really know if it's going to make sense. Mm. So it's just, yeah, that's, that's my answer. That's who he says he is. That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, it's a complicated answer too, in a sense, because he says some different things. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so it's the, and it's, it's like you, you don't, right? It doesn't like make sense right. linearly or in a, in a, for as much as I talked about that, I, you know, and I thought about that, I liked it as literature and stuff like that. It's not really how it works, right? Mm. It's not, mm. it's not a linear kind of thing. It's even the, the, the Old Testament to the New Testament is a whole, it's one big meta narrative, right? One big arc. And, uh, it yeah it's there is there is an aspect to it to where it's 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 a it's a word it's a it's a wordless understanding for me so probably why I'm stumbling mm. over giving you words for it now but yeah <laughs> he does he does and yet they're all true right like mm. I think mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah you either there's just something to it that's that's it's hard to explain but you I, you know what I mean I I feel like if it wasn't hard to explain then it wouldn't be as compelling mm -hmm. you know i i think that any uh conception of of god or faith and religion um for me requires mystery absolutely you know, requires absolutely man. something beyond words beyond what we can put into words 100%. um yeah and we can we can talk all we want but so much of it just can only be an approximation um or reaching or or pointing toward what the the truth is yeah you know yeah absolutely yeah the mystery that's it for sure so how does that mystery influence your life i'm okay with saying i don't know you know to some of the big things but also okay with trusting uh in in that that feeling that mystery that 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 sense of i guess connection to something bigger um mm. it just yeah there, i think it affects everything in my life actually so, again uh, would be difficult to describe other than to say that there's just a uh, something to knowing that there's uh, that there's a mystery that you're a part of you know mm. mm -hmm. yeah a connection to something greater not being alone absolutely i think everybody without exception should be a part of something bigger than themselves and mm. i don't think that that means religion or god or you know and, I, and I, it's the, the the criticisms of religion and of church are not only valid but i mean like yeah spot crucial on. yeah spot on spot on there's a yeah. lot of terrible things to say about it <laughs> yeah absolutely um but he's not one of them, you know? And I think that there's this mm. American theology that's just like, and just bad theology and just bad uh, teachings in, in, in the way that it's, it's in the way that it's, it's presented and used. It's just uh, so much of it's antithetical to what it's, what the point of all of it, you know? Absolutely. Especially um, fundamentalist, evangelical, you know, Christo fascist well yeah american theology yeah especially that uh, yeah. but also you know. even just like the simple like just i think common thoughts about like 
heaven and hell and a vengeful god. Um, you know what I mean? Like, there's just, we just, it's tough to shake that so true. stuff when it's not, there's nothing to back that up other than what other people have said. Because mm-hmm. um, you certainly have the extremes, which to us seem so obviously um, way off and, like you said, antithetical to Jesus's message. Um, but then you're right. There are sometimes more subtle um, problems, mm-hmm. even in churches that might not even consider themselves right wing or conservative, too. You know, the way anti Semitism is so entrenched in so much of it. Um, you know, it it's so many things are pervasive in Christianity, and it can be really hard to figure out what to how to how to is like is it still useful you know and like you said i agree with what you said the problem is christianity not jesus yeah i mean i mean yeah for years as an yeah an outspoken atheist who wore it like a a suit of armor you know i think all my criticisms of that stuff I, i and problems with Christianity, problems with churches and problems with religion. I, those, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my problems with those are 50 times more now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, I say all this as someone who identifies as a Christian, specifically an Episcopalian, um, who is very much a part of the church, um, but who constantly, um, is trying to think how can we do this differently? How can we do this better? Yeah. What needs to die? You know, maybe maybe the whole thing needs to die and it needs to be something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, Bonhoeffer talked about a religionless um Christianity or a religionless um way of following Jesus. And I think that makes sense to me a lot of the time. Even even as someone who loves um a lot of aspects of of church yeah 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 that sounds cool i'm gonna look into that bonhoeff mm-hmm. yeah i think something else i, I do want to want to say um since i've you know i feel it's sometimes necessary for me to say anytime i say hey i'm a christian and i 100 percent support trans folks and it's just baffling to me well maybe not baffling to me but infuriating to me how christianity is used to target the most marginalized um yeah yeah no that's what i mean man like my problems with their 20 when i was an atheist i have more of a problem with that kind of stuff now not as a you know as someone who also identifies as a christian i have more of a problem with that kind of stuff because it's just so yeah Mm, yeah Totally. <laughs> uh, well. Everything about it, right? Just that it's, yeah, I mean, those are all valid criticisms, that it's something that's wielded as a weapon and control and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Now that's... So what are the, what what about it is compelling to you and worthwhile to you? You know, because the, the faults are obvious um, to most people I who acknowledge there are faults um but what about it is worthwhile honestly it's just sort of that feeling that i guess the holy spirit man you know i mean just a a a peace and a and a sense of grounding a sense of purpose you know that's what it's Mm. most appealing to me like i said there's something supernatural there's a mystery you know and i that's where i am with it i'm with you on that and you know what what's worthwhile to me part of it is i've experienced some very profound spiritual it's you know spiritual moments in my life that have made it almost impossible not to believe <laughs> it's like well i can't really deny what happened there that night it felt like God lifted my desire to drink alcohol yeah. uh, 11 years ago. And, you know, I can't really deny this other healing experience I happened that happened to me recently. And um, so j- those are just kind of the two biggest ones in my life. But 
Um, and then I also think, in addition, like you said, to the grounding and the sense of peace, um, I think for me, the what's what's worthwhile about it is both hope, which I guess is can be a part of peace. Uh, hope that um, this is not that death is not the end of the story. Um, and for a long time, even as a Christian, I didn't really believe that. I I hoped for hope, um, but in recent years, I've come to believe in that hope. Um, and also, what's worthwhile to me is the example and importance of love sure. um, and a radical love that sure. um, is is boundless and a knowing that we are loved and accepted just as we are yeah and um, all of all of those things I think are what keep me able to say I'm a Christian because I, <laughs> it's like there's so much weighing against that, you know? Yeah, there is almost uh, to the point where like, I don't talk about it very often, you know, none of my, mm-hmm. none of my friends are Christians, you know, and I don't, I don't care uh, to proselytize or to, to convert or anything like that. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that honestly it's the, you know, a religionless spirituality sounds right about, what i'm talking about it's it's something that's just like very a very personal thing as personal as in like just to me do you know what i mean and i i've been looking into the idea a lot reading up on like universal salvation man i think there's something mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. i think there's something oh there. me too something to put together i'm still trying to put that together but that's the only thing that makes sense <laughs> I, I agree it's the only thing that makes sense yeah universal universalism i definitely feel very confident well as confident as you can be about anything um in terms of faith but think about the fact that like the biggest argument against that is like well what about people that deserve eternal punishment (laughs) like really like revenge you're gonna care about revenge when you're dead you're not it's so backwards (laughs) yeah and eternal punishment itself you know is not uh it's not that's like not the only conception you know right. uh, of of what could what could happen that's i don't know I, I that is something else i'm very confident in not being a thing absolutely <laughs> it, it makes no it makes no sense like it makes no sense at all absolutely and i think that when it yeah. says you know for all it means for all regardless of religion regardless of you know upbringing regardless of i don't know your actions man you know like there yeah. it's I think there's something too that I, that's really compelling to me too about the idea of like a broken world and this is not how things are supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. that it's our, that when when people are in charge of things it's just a broken thing. You know, mm-hmm. that really spoke speaks to me too spoke to me as like what I thought about like politically, you know, socially stuff like that. Uh, it's just being of course it's a it's a it's a shit show, you know. And uh Absolutely. But then you get, well, then why would God let it be? You know, but it's like, oh, does he? You know, I think that's on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So the only thing that makes sense has to be that, like, well, do the best you can once you get to the finish line. You know, we'll talk about it. Well, it'll make sense. Maybe it'll make sense. Maybe you'll get to see how every little thing that you did affected somebody else and how that affected the whole thing, the whole big story, you know? Wouldn't that be wild? Mm, Yeah. I I think it could be, you know, um, and it's everything. So so much in the New Testament is all about grace, you know, and so much of what we see in Christianity today is antithetical to grace, you know. Yeah. Even even the even the idea that someone has to say, "I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior." In order to be saved, um, that that also turns salvation into a work. It says, "Here's something that you must do." When so much of the you know gospel is 
about, oh, actually, God already did this. You are. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly where, that's what I mean. That's exactly where, where that is. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And isn't that great? <laughs> I mean, that's just. It is great. That's a joy and a peace that, that, that changed, I like, changed my life, you know? I, I like to say it's not good news if it's not good news. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Right. <laughs> Jesus died for somebody's uh, sins, but not mine. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're, uh, yeah, if you're sharing something that's that's bad news, then it's probably not the gospel. <laughs> I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? <laughs> <laughs> Just the good news. Right. News only. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned um, some of the political um aspects of you know seeing the world as as broken um which i would agree as well what would you like to see what would a less broken world look like and and how does that relate to your politics in any way oh my oh my i don't know i don't know anymore man uh you know i was uh i've been pretty let down over the last couple of years from people who would vote, you know, vote for Trump to the way people handled caring about each other during COVID. It's just, it's, 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 it's very hard to continue to have faith in people enough to think that we could run this place by ourselves. You know, and the only thing that's worse than that is having the people that run it continue to run it. So I, I don't know what, I, I don't I don't know. What do you think? You got an idea for that? <laughs> I, I guess well, it would, you know, yeah. it would just be, it used to be to the just like, I don't know, just close your eyes and imagine that this could be every day. If it like, you know, punk shows and just like driving around with your buddies and just imagine how much fun we could have. We don't have to worry about all this crap, you know, but that's just very myopic and real world. Everybody would have what they need man. there would be nobody hungry. There would be nobody unhoused. There would be nobody unsafe. Mm -hmm. That's how does that happen though? You know, it would right. happen with us stepping up and taking care of each other, taking responsibility for ourselves, getting rid of this sort of selfishness and the whole system, the whole entire system has to go. And yep. I think that there needs to be, I, I myself would not be ready for that level of responsibility even you know and that sucks because but that's what you work towards you know you're always trying to be i think i'm always trying to be better prepared <laughs> for the end of the world you know and uh <laughs> right for the for that collapse because it's coming brother mm, yep yep i think that you know you're you're right on with what the world uh should look like and the um sheer kind of overwhelming gap to get there um it requires like you said a complete getting rid of our current system um it requires speaking of jesus the first being last and the last being first not even the first and last going at the same time yeah um and it, it requires a huge reversal um and I think you're right in that, you know, we can work toward that and knowing that um, the work we do, whatever it is, um, maybe we can only hope to, to move things along by millimeters or plant seeds or um, do things that hopefully there'll be good results even if after we've died and we, we don't see them. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot in terms of, of abolition, you know, in prison abolition, and knowing that that's something I might not see in my lifetime, but it's something I would like to see. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to see it in my lifetime, Absolutely. you know. I was going to say about um, prison abolition, there's so much that's required to make it a reality beyond just addressing the carceral system you know like in order for prison abolition to be viable everyone needs to be fed yeah. everyone needs to be housed everyone needs access to mental health resources which 
would probably not be as necessary if we could also abolish capitalism. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. For sure. Poverty yeah. being the number one product of capitalism uh, and also being the biggest problem. To, uh, almost everything you can think of could be, could be fixed by, by eliminating poverty. Yeah, and you know the the wealth of the wealthy comes from the poverty of the poor, um, and so it's not just in my mind it's not just um, poverty that's a problem, but it's also wealth um, mm-hmm. the the small wealth of of a few and um, the atroci- atrocities and. Um, exploitation and oppression that happens through that yeah yeah yeah. those are definitely you know hand in hand i mean yeah what's the uh, merton string theory of of crime right of deviance whatever crime it's something like and i'm gonna not say it right exactly but i think you'll get the point that the crime is the the product of when access to legitimate means through or access to legitimate needs through legitimate means are blocked right that's mm, when mm-hmm. crime occurs. When when, when somebody has mm. somebody, the legitimate access to legitimate needs is blocked, and it's always going to be blocked by the state. It's always mm. going to be blocked by capitalists. It's always going to be blocked by yeah. the wealthy looking out for their own, right? So, if somebody has a legitimate need for food, then they're going to steal it. If somebody has a legitimate need for, um, you know, just an, uh, even to feel something, then they're going to get addicted and then, then they're going to do what they need to do to get whatever they're addicted to. You know, it just starts in the start of everything and could be the end of everything too. If it would be fixed. But it would. And it, and it makes you question, you know, even the word crime or the concept of crime, you know, why, why is it illegal for someone to take food? <laughs> um, and uh, if they're hungry, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, I think I think that uh, phrase you said uh, definitely be accurate. I think there are also times when sometimes we forget about the frequent crimes of those who do have means, um, and the 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 crimes of the wealthy, which are so off so often go unaccounted for. This uh, this conversation is bringing me back to Jesus's message, actually, because. Probably the thing he talks about the most is economic justice, essentially. And um, it's just so ironic that people seem to think, you know, evangelical fundamentalist Christians, etc., seem to think that Jesus would be totally on board with capitalism, you know. But I think Jesus would really, really despise capitalism. Um, and all it's about and all it does. Yeah. And I I wish that people who especially I, I wish this especially for like liberal Christians um or any wealthy Christian um that they would take Jesus's words more seriously <laughs> when it comes to uh relinquishing power, uh relinquishing wealth. Um it's hard it's a hard thing to do. It's in the Old Testament a little bit too. There's um I couldn't tell you chapter and verse or anything, but I know that there's one part where, you know, they want this is sometime after the Exodus and they've kind of established, you know, they're in the promised land and they say to whoever the prophet is at the time, they're like, We want a king, just like everybody else. All these other kingdoms have kings. We want a king. And <laughs> there's this huge speech that uh I guess God gives the, the the prophet and he reports but I no I think it just comes right from God and he when when Samuel that's who it is Samuel tells go all right I'll tell him <laughs> you know he tells God would they want a king and, and God's like if they get if you get a king like do what you want but know that if you get a king you will be slaves like there you go know. you know and it goes through like he's gonna put your sons in the army to march in front of his chariot He's going to take your daughters and, you know, he just, yeah, like this is what, this is what, you know, supplicating yourself to a, to a, a man, to another person, you know, to a power is going to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we're about at the end of our time. And I was wondering if you had anything that you wanted to plug or uh, tell listeners about or any just final thoughts. I would like to say that we are working on new stuff. We're going to make a new record and started recording stuff. Um, I've been playing a bunch more shows and that's fun. You know, just to say that we're like in, in the on again period of things. So that feels pretty good. Uh, so before that's too long, great. we should be putting some stuff out and we'll definitely be, be touring as a band and coming around. We do have some things that we're working on that I'm really excited about. Um, I'd also just like to say that uh, there's a, you know, uh, my, my brother Matt makes solo stuff and it's really great under the one and only Matt Miller. Everybody should check that out. And he's been in bands that I think would be linked from that too, but he's on, on the band camp. You got to check him out. Um, Jacob, who I mentioned before is, is a filmmaker, Jacob Kessler. Uh, look him up with Mike McDermott. They're, they're really great. It's called Blurry Pictures. They've got this documentary out now that's doing really well. So check out Blurry Pictures. Uh, let's see. What else is everybody else up to? You know, there's just a lot of good things happening in, in more than anything, you know, try to find those things in your own town, <laughs> things to be excited about, things to champion, you know. Oh, I know what I want to say too. We are going to reissue this record that we made in 2006 called The Husky Tenor. We're, there there's a it's finally going to come out on vinyl uh, and and we just finished like the remaster of it and it's even kind of remixed it a little bit but not it still sounds the same but it's some it, it sounds a little better and it'll it's going to sound great on our record i think but i'm really excited wow. about that that'll be cool that seems like the one that like it's an old thing you know and we've only made what five full records you know because with just huge gaps of time in between them that's just how we seem to work and stuff but that one seems to have uh, we still play stuff off of that that one seems to have stuck and that's pretty cool and so i'm excited to put it on a record for the first time yeah that is very exciting i can't wait for that yeah that was like i said 2006 that was like i was talking to april from and i listened to the podcast that she was on not too long ago like the same one the first episode of it and that was cool but i was just talking to her i don't know her very well i only met her um like within the last month, but she was saying, talking about like, you know, I wasn't really around for like that time of folk punk and trying to ask me what that was like. And I was like, I don't really, I don't know how to answer that either because like we, we just kind of, as we started to tour more and then we would look for places, like those were just the kind of kids that were booking shows. And I do remember this like realization of like, there seemed to be a lot of people with acoustic guitars screaming, <laughs> you know? Is this a thing that's happening now? So it was sort of like this scene that we just kind of like incidentally found our way into um, and never really like listened to that stuff or like felt like a big part of it other than outside of like that. And I, I think maybe maybe it was just because like at the time it was a really it was time to wake up. You know, there was a lot going on politically with those George Bush years and war and, you know, people were coming of age to where that was affecting them, you know, but that's probably how everybody gets into activism, right? Because it's really going on around them right then. And it did feel like there was something happening. And so it was always the politics of it that, that drew us, that, that, that I identified with it. You know what I mean? Um, so it's cool that that record for, for that to be the one that was going on in that sort of heyday, I guess is, is, is coming out again. But that when listening back to, those the remixes to be like you know to decide how to, how to re remix them and stuff like that. It's the first time I'd heard a lot of them in a long time, and it was just like, "Ooh, this is." I still stand behind it, like all this time. You know, I I don't think much has has changed in the way about how I feel about those those same issues and that. So I, I I feel like that there's there's still something to be said with it too. So I'm excited for it to come out again because of that. Awesome. Well. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, this It was a real pleasure talking to hey, you. Hey, thank you. You too. This was fun. i
in my chest as I'm standing here with all the rest of all these restless kids in this by now closed down department store. My thoughts are racing in my mind as I stand in the receiving line to shake hands with E-Man and Skeletor. Good and evil come to me as subtle as an M16, as loud as lines of moonlight streaking all across my bedroom floor. While lead-based clouds blow off the planes with bellies full of acid rain, I'm sheltered by E-Man and Skeletor. That was He-Man and Skeletor, and the only other place you'll be able to find that track is on Fest's official website. And if you are going to Fest this year, be sure to check out Endless Mike and the Beetle Club. If you want to follow Endless Mike on social media, their Instagram is E-M and the B-C. You can also find us on Instagram at backonthegrindpod. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope to see you next time.